0: Section twenty of Paved with Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason Paved with Gold by Augustus Mayhew. Chapter ten of Book the Second Childhood in the Streets friends arrive one day whilst the boys were waiting for a turn to go out with a job mr sparkler casting his eye over the heath saw a young woman whom he instantly recognized as the maidservant from madame de blanchard's establishment for young ladies advancing in the direction of the donkey stands being a thoroughly business man and knowing that such orders were generally very excellent and extensive mr sparkler did not think it beneath his dignity to play the part of touter but hurried forward to meet the young woman with a rapidity which showed that he was rather nervous lest anybody else should snatch the chance from him the reason of mr sparkler's sudden departure was soon discovered by his brother proprietors and as they were all well acquainted with the girl from the school a pang of jealousy passed through all their hearts and the quiet of the heath was disturbed by angry voices in the heat of the moment masters began to strike their boys for not being on the lookout, and boys to squeal and abuse their masters for taking the law into their own hands all mr sparkler's movements were watched with the greatest interest he was seen to touch his hat with great politeness to the girl and it was concluded from his respectful demeanour that the expense of a first-rate job formed the subject of conversation it's a good thirty donkeys at least cried one owner shaking his whip at his boy who had retired to a safe distance it was in vain that preparations were set on foot to try to cut the ground out from under mr sparkler for the herd of animals hurried off towards the servant had scarcely been roused into a trot before mr Sparkler was seen returning and his countenance so beaming with inward satisfaction that the four-legged deputation was ordered back again, it being evident that every arrangement had been concluded and the job secured the hampstead donkey-masters although they will fight amongst themselves for a sixpenny ride and seem influenced by feelings of the deepest hatred when any business is on foot are nevertheless an amiable and accommodating race of men assisting each other on half-profits with the greatest cheerfulness when an order of any magnitude has to be executed hence when mr sparkler rejoined his friends with the announcement that eighteen donkeys were wanted at the ladies school by one o'clock he found no difficulty in securing long-eared steeds to that number here you feel you'll have to be one to go along with this lot said mr sparkler beginning his preparations and mine old indy-rubber is for the governess for she's a mortal fine woman and it takes a deal of carrying so the gal telled me for at least half an hour every hand in mr sparkler's employment was hard at work tidying up and arranging saddles so as to make the cavalcade look as respectable as possible the patronage of the ladies schools in the neighbourhood was very much sought after for though the prices given were not high still the orders were extensive and came at a time in the day when business was extremely slack all the time that mr sparkler was adorning his steeds by hiding the ends of straps stuffing straw under the saddles or arranging the linen covering so as to hide as much as possible the faulty conditions of his harness he continued giving his directions to phil put one of the young uns on laura smith he said she's very tender on the back and keep your eye on bobtail or he'll be up to kicking and breaking some of their necks if he have a chance and Phil, mind you be particular civil to the girl's missus, "'and don't let's hear of your being up to your larks "'getting any of the young'uns chucked off. "'You better let old One-Eye go alongside of crazy Jane, "'or she'll be a-lying down in the road or some other wishousness.' "'And as he spoke of the bad-hearted One-Eye, "'he tapped her smartly on the shoulder with his stick "'to show that he disapproved of her general behaviour. Mind too, Phil,' he continued they're only out for two hours and don't you go running their legs off and knocking them up for their afternoon's work eighteen handsome donkeys accompanied by five sluiced and combed boys drew up as the clock struck one before the iron gates of madame de blanchard's establishment the effect was very imposing and everybody who passed stopped to admire the gaily attired stud and to glance at the windows where the young ladies with their bonnets on were impatiently peeping over the blinds and gazing wistfully on the donkeys the establishment gained great glory that day and many were the praises uttered about the great affection madame felt for her pupils and her motherly treatment of them presently the doors of the academy opened and out marched the young damsels trying by screwing up their little lips to the size of cherries to look as serious as they could in the presence of their governess but every part of the face was laughing except the mouth these attempts at solemnity were nearly choking some of the little misses and making their faces as pink as rose leaves all the young ladies were dressed in their best clothes and looked very prim and pretty with their smooth hair so neatly dressed and tucked behind the ears that it seemed a sad pity to derange it with galloping their little collars and cuffs too were so brilliantly white it was sorrowful to think how soon the dust would soil them as they stood in the front garden the prettiest flowers there be it understood the governess said there was a great deal too much chattering and we are sorry to have to relate that a little pushing and quarrelling occurred whilst the young ladies were being placed in their saddles one miss wagbird a terrible wicked girl as the mistress called her was ordered to write out do not push one hundred times in play hours for disorderly conduct then one miss clara marsh had to be severely reprimanded and threatened with being sent back for taking a violent prejudice against the duke of brunswick whom she declared to be a dusty thing with a sore on its back another young lady miss twining who wore her hair down her back and had dimples under her eyes was rated for her affectation in pretending to be nervous when sam kirk was helping her onto the saddle and worse than all she showed some temper asserting that she couldn't help it for it tickled Yet the governess preferred believing Master Kurt's explanation of, It's her skin so creepy, ma'am, it, it itches in a moment. The governess, a fine, tall, thin woman, but inclined to wither, endeavored to govern the young ladies in a half-military fashion, calling out their names in succession when it came to their turn to mount there was a great deal of confusion caused by some of the little misses putting the wrong foot in the stirrup and a great deal of time was wasted in fidgeting about in the saddle to get comfortable and in altering straps which were either too long or too short if the mistress had not been a woman of great nerves she would never have been able to preserve order among her pupils cries of a done, mary or let me alone tilda evinced the unsettled condition of some of the scholars minds others would grumble because their donkey was the worst of the lot or because its knees were broken and one even took a strong prejudice against her steed because she said its eyes were full of flies miss smith i am ashamed of you what are you about miss collis pull the other rein directly or where are you going to arrange your dress for goodness sake miss trelawney and take your parasol out of that donkey's ear miss simpson there was one young lady she could not have been older than fourteen who caused more disturbance than all the school put together somehow or other whenever philip was about to lift her on the saddle the donkey was sure to hop out of the way and as all the other young ladies laughed it certainly did appear as if it was no accident kick that patient animal again miss crosier and you shall be sent back at last called out the governess what made the pupil's conduct look very black indeed was that the very next attempt after this threat the young damsel was jumped on the back with as little trouble as a circus rider when the cavalcade was mounted the governess with much dignity took her seat on india-rubber and whilst she was doing so it was painful to hear the tittering which crackled among the pupils she must have heard it poor lady for she blushed a deep cinnamon colour philip could not take his eyes off this miss crosier for he had recognised in her the little girl who one day when he was seated under the avenue by the heath side had called him "Say, sal petit garcon la he did not know what the words meant but he had a half-notion that they were slightly complimentary, and had been spoken in pity. Once he asked Swinging Fred what C'est Sal Petit Garcon La meant, but Mr. Jackson, being unacquainted with the French language, had replied that he could not tumble to it, and that it was a regular jawbreaker. So, as he was unable to obtain a translation phil contented himself with his own notions on the subject and felt convinced that the little lady was commiserating with his forlorn lot and very thankful he felt for her sympathy she had a wicked pretty little face that would have made anybody like her it is very difficult to say whether her eyes left off laughing even when she was asleep and how she ever managed to close them with all those lashes about the lid must be guessed at she had the strange power too of working her eyebrows about as a horse does its ears and if a fly happened to settle on her forehead or her hair got out of its place she would frown like the saracen's head on lungate hill though the next moment the semicircles were back on her forehead again and very lovely to look at the last time she returned home from the holidays her mamma wrote a letter to madame de Blanchard, requesting that helen might never be permitted to go out in the sun without some covering to protect her skin and nobody who has seen the pretty child could object to such a precaution for her complexion is so clear that you can see the blue veins on her temples as distinctly as if she had traced them with cobalt and even now there are some half-dozen golden spangles of freckles where the sun has caught her on top of her little nose where the skin is extremely delicate and sparkles like a lily leaf the cavalcade moved along so slowly that this miss crosier did nothing but grumble at the pace and asked emma Twining, who was next her when that old thing meaning we are sorry to say the governess was going to let them gallop she was evidently a very rebellious young damsel and far from settled in her mind whenever the mistress called out throw your shoulders back miss crozier you're stooping dreadfully the wicked child far from feeling grateful for the kind reproof as we should only shook herself and pouted and her eyebrows moved about so rapidly with frowning that it seemed as if they would never become round again the cavalcade was going along very prettily all the pupils holding themselves delightfully upright and looking very solemn and ladylike with the mistress in the rear keeping a strict eye over them to see that there was no talking whilst they were passing through the town but what did miss crosier care for the governess she was determined not to hold her tongue for anybody but would speak as much as she liked and to whom she liked now, Emma Toyning was a much better behaved young lady, and when the insurrectionary Helen whispered any question, the only reply she received was don't, she's looking, or don't, she'll hear us, or some such nervous repulse. So, Helen called Emma a disagreeable thing, and determined as there was nobody else to chat with, she would talk to the donkey boy, Phil but first of all with a cunning beyond her years she warned the lad not to look at her when he answered her questions but to keep his head straight in front of him so that the mistress might suspect nothing what's her name boy she asked phil merton miss was the reply on hearing this she gave a laugh which made the governess call out pray be more steady miss crosier but she didn't seem to attend in the slightest degree to the warning but continued the conversation merton she said in an astonished tone la what a curious thing my brother's name is merton i wonder if you're a relation and as she felt she must laugh she pushed her bonnet-strings into her mouth after a moment she added where do your parents live boy my mother's dead the heavens be her bed was the sad reply i never saw my father and i don't know where he is the pretty maid was sorrowful when she heard this answer as if she was comparing the happiness of her lot with the misery of his she said both my papa and mamma are alive i have a brother beside who is an officer in the army another cry of no talking miss crosier came from the governess after a moment when she thought the governess's suspicions were allayed the simple child asked shouldn't you like to see your father the boy forgetting the warning she had given him looked up in her face and answered sorrowfully i would walk miles even to see where he was buried if i knowed the spot i've been told he was a gentleman but even if he was the poorest man living, I'd crawl on my hands and knees, ay, hundreds of miles, if I knowed where to see his face. Here the conversation dropped, for Helen, who was a gentle-hearted girl for all her laughing, seeing with what earnestness Philip had spoken, began to upbraid herself for having unconsciously wounded his feelings. When she heard Emma Twining sigh and mutter, "'in her rich, soft voice. "'Poor boy.' "'Helen took it as a rebuke for her thoughtlessness "'and whispered back excusingly, "'I did not mean to hurt him, dear.' "'The dreams and fancies that used to fill the lad's mind "'even when he was a mere infant at the pauper school, "'the strange ideas to which he had often, "'as he lay on the grass, "'with his face turned up to the clouds, "'sought to give shape and truthfulness, again came rising to his brain. He seemed to have forgotten that anybody was near him, and had walked along in a kind of somnambulic condition, talking to himself aloud. They never would tell me anything about her, no, not even the nurse wouldn't. If she was a lady, as that Miss Perryman said she was, where was the harm of my knowing it? of course i ought to know they ought to tell me everything i can't even see her when i want to because they wouldn't tell me what she was like i dream of sam kurt and a lot of others but i can't dream of her and all through them for the next few moments not a fault had the mistress to find with miss merton's behaviour for the little donkey boy's soliloquy had frightened her into silence the first to renew the conversation was philip one of the animals stumbled and called him back to himself again he was a singular fitful youth in tears one second and laughing the next directly he saw the little lady's faces he seemed to wake up from his dreams he even thought it was an excellent opportunity for obtaining a translation of the french words the little lady had spoken about him so half turning round he said i've seen you before and you called me a salle Petite garcon la what does that mean at first miss helen blushed as scarlet as her brother's brightest regimentals and then she began to shake with laughter so that emma was obliged to think of the mistress and say to her oh don't there's it dear when she had partially recovered from her excitement she felt embarrassed as to what answer to give she did not dare to tell philip to his face that she had called him a dirty little boy it would be much kinder she thought to deceive him by telling a fib and looking him full in the face she replied with the greatest sang-froid it means what a handsome young man that is now it was philip's turn to look silly and feel uncomfortable Whilst Emma Twining was so astounded at her friend's duplicity that she began to splutter with giggling, whilst her cheeks puffed out and her eyes puckered up in endeavouring to restrain her mirth, then came the terrible voice of the governess again Miss Twining, copy out I must not laugh fifty times when you get home, and as for you, Miss Crosier, I shall report you poor emma began to tremble like a mariner's compass and once again did the other wicked child shake herself as if she was trying to slip out of her clothes and the eyebrows bobbed up and down into all manner of shapes the nasty old thing said the bad girl i wish that donkey would kick up behind and throw her off that i do being close to her side philip heard her wish and so anxious was he to do something in return for the complimentary ce sale petit garcon law that he turned round and said i could make old India rubber what she's writing of kick in a minute if i so choose. can you was the quick reply mind she doesn't see you talking to us i'll give you a penny if you'll make old India rubber kick i don't want your pennies said phil indignantly i'll do it for nothing for you well look here boy continued the little tempter my pa's coming to see me on thursday next and i'll make him hire you to give me a ride only mind and bump her well this was enough for philip and pleased him better than all the pennies in the bank of england so he dropped behind and allowed the cavalcade to pass until he was near the mistress and under the pretense of asking which way they were to go he kept by her side waiting for his opportunity to torment her he well knew that one of India rubber's peculiarities was extreme irritability whenever anybody placed the hand on her backbone she could bear a great deal of flogging without evincing much restlessness but the moment she felt a pressure behind the saddle she became frisky and gay and spitefully lively in her demeanour the poor governess could not imagine what had come to her hitherto docile steed she felt herself raised up behind us suddenly as if she had been lifted by a wave and bumped forward several times in succession a sensation somewhat resembling that of being churned india-rubber was lashing her tail about and throwing her legs vigorously in all directions go away boy it's you frightening her cried the lady in alarm but phil remained protesting his innocence and at the same time pinching india-rubber harder and harder until at length the enraged animal threw up its heels with as much violence as if it were going to turn a somersault and the lady being totally unprepared for this evolution was propelled forward with the velocity of a champagne cork although her progress through the air was fortunately checked by the stirrup which forced her back again to her seat with the jerk of a lasso the dignified upright position which had hitherto distinguished her deportment in the saddle vanished entirely for her body fell down like a lid over the animal's neck, and for a few seconds she remained in an attitude similar to that which Johnny Gilpin is supposed to have assumed when passing through Edmonton. All the young ladies heard their mistress call out, Oh, take me off this donkey! Take me off! Oh, oh, oh! And as they turned round and saw her clinging to the pommel the mirth and enjoyment they were trying to conceal came gurgling up to their little mouths it is a painful portion of our duty to be obligated to state that miss crosier so enjoyed the scene that her head fell back on her shoulders and the only sound that came from her open mouth was one which resembled that produced by a person whilst using a gargle at length her full throat began to work like that of a canary in song making her bonnet-strings tremble as her laughter streamed up and then such a flood of rich melodious chuckles gushed forth that she must have been heard a mile off and made everybody within that distance cacinate from sympathy the expression of the countenance of the governess as she heard the wicked helen's bursts of delight was sublime from contempt and fearful with anger and the remarkable vigour which she threw into the words miss Crosier, write out one hundred times i should not laugh at the misfortunes of others ought to have made that young lady sink to the ground with shame and contrition the most melancholy result of this revengeful proceeding was that the governess insisted upon quitting the back of india rubber and as she was forced to proceed at a walking pace she issued an order that all the young ladies should follow her example so much to miss helen's disappointment all hopes of a gallop were dispelled never mind miss said phil consoling her wait till thursday then i'll give you such a run as she'll make you stiff for months to come for two or three days after this memorable academic expedition phil was so rapt in thought that his bearing towards his companions seemed haughty and distant and in retaliation it was resolved the nickname of my Nobs" should henceforth be conferred upon him whenever he appeared on the heath the boys used to grin at him and shout out my knobs in full chorus he did all he could to try and convince his friends that he was not proud but pensive yet he met with no success he tried to silence their evil tongues by lending them money but though they were civil enough until the monetary transaction was completed yet no sooner had the coin changed hands than once more did he become my nobs even sharing his food with his enemies did not soften their hearts if phil was thoughtful and abstracted and did not talk and mingle with the other boys as he had formerly done it was not as they thought because he had suddenly given way to pride but for a far deeper reason what on earth was a poor donkey-boy to be proud of he was continually thinking over the words little helen crosier had spoken he would say to himself what a curious thing that her brother's name should be merton as well as mine she said she wondered if i was a relation but she was only laughing at me yet everybody used to say my mother had been a lady only fancy if we was actually relations and this idea would torment him until it monopolized all his time and thought perhaps whilst he was in the midst of his aspiring meditations the other lads would gather round him and begin taunting my knobs for having withdrawn from their society and as he had made no secret of the supposed respectability of his parents they never failed to allude with the bitterest sarcasm they were capable of to the subject of his illustrious descent he and the other boys were one afternoon bathing in the pond by the kilburn fields when a direct set upon phil was made by the satirical young rogues nothing was addressed directly to him but it was evident that he was intended to hear all that was said he clenched his teeth together very tightly as he heard one ask whether it was true that nob's father had once been king of england before he took to keeping an oyster stall and his muscles tightened when another replied as soon as the laughter had subsided i've heard my nob's mother was an heiress and married the dandy dog's meat man in despair of being able to put an end to these annoyances by any pacific means philip uttered the tremendous threat that the very next person who insulted him should receive a drubbing as should ensure civility for years to come now donkey-boys are notoriously brave and will never allow anything like intimidation the consequence was that phil had scarcely spoken his big words before bill kearney one of Slopman's boys shouted back in defiance if you want to fight my knobs here's for you and into the water he leapt now began the horrors of war first they skirmished about and splashing each other with water until at last the savage merton waded towards his opponent with clenched fists whilst the determined kearney daring to the last hissed and shouted out my nobs as if he was singing his war song they ducked each other unmercifully wrestling as well as their wet arms would let them sometimes they held each other's heads under water until the bubbles of their breath came to the surface as rapidly as the gas in soda-water then black in the face and panting they would rise to wipe the moisture from their eyes and prepare for another tussle. Philip's rage made him stubborn and gained him the victory, for, though he was sometimes nearly suffocated, he would give no signs of his discomfiture. Whilst Kearney, no sooner, found himself overwhelmed by difficulties, than he roared out at the top of his voice, "'Murder! Murder! Help! I'm getting grounded!' at last it was determined by the lookers-on that the scene of the combat should be changed from the water to the dry land and both combatants who had apparently had enough of the nautical engagement willingly assented to the proposal whilst the boys were slipping on their clothes jack burt remarked to a friend of his i never saw two such hard ones feels as tough as cow-beef yes joined in snorting sam but if kearney holds his head up i don't believe he'll get the worst of it now sam kurt never did like phil much perhaps he was a little jealous of him whilst the boys were dressing they continued crowing at each other like a couple of game cocks threatening to inflict all sorts of injuries whilst menacing each other they adopted the slang in fashion among donkey-boys so that their threats though very fearful to their understanding had rather a comic meaning to the uninitiated philip intimating that as soon as he had put on his trousers he would blacken bill's eyes roared out wait till i have togged my round the houses and then i'll cook your mince pies for you to this Kearney retorted i'll have you down on the last card of your pack as soon as i've laced my german flutes meaning thereby that when his boots were arranged he would throw Philip on his back you wouldn't know your lump of lead when i finished with you cried merton referring to his antagonist's head i'll smash your glass case and damage your north and south roared bill referring to the face and mouth of his opponent in this curious language did they defy each other speaking of the jaw as a jackdaw and calling an arm a five-acre farm and terming a nose an i suppose and in fact never making use of the word they intended but employing in its stead some expression which rhymed with it when the young urchins did begin to fight they had a very terrible set-to and hurt each other as much as ever they could but it happened most providentially that their limbs were not so powerful as their rage or they must have knocked each other to atoms whilst they were sparring up to each other phil would cry out passionately my mother married a dandy dog's meat man did she or my father was king of england was he and then rush headfirst at his enemy who determined not to be intimidated would growl back in defiance yes my knobs that's the exact state of things they fought long enough however for each of them to discover that they were very well matched and for the future it would be more prudent to remain friends instead of foes so phil allowed mr kearney from that day to call him behind his back my knobs and never afterwards was bill heard to threaten young merton either with punching his lump of lead or throwing out his five-acre farm or stopping phil's jackdaw with a crack on his north and south you may be sure that phil never forgot the promise the little schoolgirl made him when thursday came he seated himself on the wooden railing near Jack Star's castle and he passed the morning as contentedly as a parrot on its perch. He listened for the roll of carriage wheels and kept his eyes moving in every direction so as to be the first to discover when a certain pink muslin dress should come fluttering down the road. He was in a dreadful state of anxiety lest any other boy should speak to her before him. Many times when a carriage passed, did he rush into the road and, at the peril of getting run over, peep into the comfortable interior, hoping to catch sight of the little lady's bright face. He had made up his mind that her papa must keep an equipage, for he had noticed that Miss Helen was the only girl in the school who had a gold watch and chain. His greatest fear was that he should be ordered out with any donkeys, and so miss the damsel he let sam kirk go out three times running and although it was a good sixpence out of his pocket yet he never thought of that but was only glad to shuffle the job off to someone else i don't know why i should like her he thought she ain't half so pretty as bertha for her eyes is always laughing and making fun but sisters has such a fond look in them they wouldn't frighten a bird away I suppose it's because she said something about my being a relation, though she was only larking. The afternoon was passing rapidly, and yet he was still on the lookout, though he was getting rather tired and impatient at being made a fool of, as he called it. Several times he had complained to a brick wall close by, asking the solid masonry, Why did she say she was coming if she wasn't? Often and often he would run to have a look, at the hotel clock making up his mind he would give her a quarter of an hour longer and if she didn't come by that time there was an end of the matter he was indeed so doubtful about seeing her that he had even tossed up some halfpence to see how his luck stood but the hope was so strong within him that although he lost five times out of six he philosophically refused to believe in that method of divination at length, just as he was on the verge of despair and had raised his closed fist, preparatory to uttering some dreadful imprecation on the bonnet of the unconscious schoolgirl, he heard a voice close to him which made him jump off his rail with the vigour of a grasshopper. "'This is the little boy with the same name as yours, Merton,' cried Helen, the owner of the voice. "'How do you do, little Merton? I've brought Big Merton to see you.' and then she began to laugh and nod her head alternately to phil and a tall young gentleman with a dropping mustache who had fixed his glass in his eye and was examining his namesake he did not seem pleased with the inspection for he said nothing but let his glass fall and then moved his brows about as if he was getting them right again after frowning it was evident that the old gentleman with the tawny unbleached face that seemed hard as if it had been carved in beeswax was miss helen's papa for she held his long thin hand in hers and seemed to be very happy to be by his side this old gentleman although he was trying to smile looked very severe for his features were not flexible but seemed tough and hard as saddle-leather and his expression was more as if he had a nasty taste in his mouth than anything else his cold eyes with wrinkles starting in every direction like the cracks in starred glass made phil feel uncomfortable when they looked at him the boy too could not help noticing the gentleman seemed to have lost his lips for there was no red edging to the mouth but it closed as a slit in an orange wood he was dressed in black and was solemn and heavy as a hulk with just one dab of white like a porthole where the shirt showed above the waistcoat indeed phil half wished that this old gentleman had not come with his little daughter so this is the little fellow is it said papa come sir you must be kind enough to let us have your best donkey to give this young lady a ride then if you'll take my word for it have light heart the best as ever carried a saddle answered phil starting off to fetch the vaunted animal the big merton laughed affectedly at the little merton's earnest manner he was a very handsome young fellow despite a certain languid expression which gave you an idea that he was ready for bedtime the keys of a piano were not more regular than his teeth and his nose was as aquiline as a ratchet cut as for whiskers his were so bushy birds might have built in them and on his chin was a tuft nearly as big as a rabbit's tail he was not dressed in black but wore a shawl patterned waistcoat and his blue coat was thrown back over his shoulders as open as folding doors he seemed very mildly happy and proud of being able to keep his eyeglass fastened under his eyebrow though it gave him somewhat the appearance of an owl blind of one eye there was a third gentleman present who was evidently a frenchman for whenever he addressed the big merton he called him mon cher merton and gesticulated like a preacher he had shaved off his whiskers but you could still trace their shape by a bluish granular stain his heavy moustache had been clipped over his mouth as regularly as thatch over a cottage window and he had the faculty of laughing instantaneously and stopping as quickly one or two donkey-boys who were watching him were astounded at the size of his ears which stood out like handles on each side of his cleanly shaved face in his moments of polite merriment his round smooth countenance became dimpled and knobbed by the forcing up of the cheeks whoever his tailor was he understood the art of cutting trousers though his coat fitted his plump body too much like a pudding-bag and phil at one time thought he wore stays this foreign gentleman also seemed to be very good-natured for when red-pole jack recommended him to have a donkey as well as the young lady he laughed till he had to wipe his forehead and told helen that her friends the boys were des gamins and tres drôles, and wanted to make a donkey of him he should think ha ha he made one observation which was very curious he pointed out to his friends that phil's face was not at all like that of an english boy's for the features were too round and formed and in fact resembled those of the children in his own country he even went so far as to ask the lad whether either of his parents was an étranger there is no sensation more annoying than feeling certain you have seen a face before yet being unable to call to mind the when and the where. Philip was turning over all the leaves in his memory, endeavouring to satisfy himself where he had seen the big merton before. He remembered the face as distinctly as he did the statue at Charing Cross. Later in the day, the mystery was cleared up, and in the languid youth Phil recognised one of the officers, who one night in the haymarket when he, Phil, was a crossing-sweeper had ordered the duck to throw mud at nurse hazelwood i wish i dare send a stone at him thought little merton they strolled along as far as highgate chatting and talking together papa never addressing the french gentleman without a great show of courtesy and pompously calling him monsieur le colonel only he pronounced it monsieur the foreign officer also behaved with excessive politeness and whenever he spoke to the languid youth called him mon ami merton or mon cher capitaine indeed it was truly delightful to witness the glossy elegance of manner all the gentlemen displayed even laughing little helen herself felt awed by their imposing conduct for as she afterward told emma twining it was like being in school again it did not make much impression on phil though but he walked quietly along leading the donkey and never opened his mouth unless it was to check symptoms of frivolity on the part of light heart by such exclamations as no you don't you hussy or steady you warm to bring her back to a sense of her servitude Presently, the old gentleman, who was apparently fond of inquiring into the condition of the lower orders, asked Phil, in a condescendingly kind tone of voice, such questions as, how many donkeys his master had, and how much the boys made at the business. He also called the boy his young friend. He listened with the greatest attention as Phil replied, Well... There's eleven masters altogether, and mine, which is Sparker by name, has got six donkeys, and one on em he wouldn't take four pounds for. He had another first rater, as we called Lord Cocktail, but she was drowned last winter in the Vale of Health, and got on the ice under the hedge for warmth, and the thaw came, and in she went, and then the frost came again, and regular potted her. He gave over three pounds for her, for donkeys is wonderful scarce, you can't look at one under fifty shillings. As for what he earns, he continued, remembering the second portion of the question, that's according to what we brings home. If it's a good day, we get maybe three shillings, or if it's a bad one, only eighteen pence, perhaps. But we depends most upon what gentlefolks give us, he added, giving the old gentleman a strong hint. And I hope you're a good boy, and don't use bad language, but go to church regularly, huh? continued mr crosier senior philip who every sunday had to fetch an old lady home in a bath-chair when divine service was over answered without hesitation that he never missed attending church unless it was very wet which of course was perfectly true the quarrels he had lately had with his companions seemed to have greatly influenced the description he gave of the deplorable and benighted condition of the other donkey-boys he was evidently avenging himself by slandering them. They never goes near a church, said Phil, unless it's to play at Chuck and Toss on the tombstones. And there's one boy, of the name of Bill Kearney, he's got the awfulest foul mouth for swearing you ever came near. You wonder his teeth wasn't blighted and turned black in his head with the words he uses. You shall hear him when we get back. If Captain Merton Crozier had been by himself... He would have been sure to burst out laughing at this last speech, but the stern-looking father evidently was a great restraint on the son's conduct, and, as Mr. Merton, Sr., was muttering, "'This is sad, very sad.' Mr. Merton, Jr. thought it more prudent to appear deeply afflicted by the terrible account. "'Never use bad language, my young friend,' said the papa, exhortingly. "'I never do, sir, only to the donkeys,' answered Phil." putting on a look of innocence. "'But why swear at all?' urged the kind gentleman. "'You will tell me that it gives force to your language. "'You will say that it ensures obedience through fear. "'But since it is only the sound of your voice "'and not the words that these animals obey, "'what need is there for you to blaspheme "'when a shout would answer as well? "'Do you understand, my young friend?' Here the little lady coming to Phil's defence said, you mustn't scold him papa remember i told you he never had any parents to watch over him everybody stared at phil with curiosity the french officer appeared quite overcome with sympathy and cried out pauvre mutard and the english one looked knowing as if he suspected that the boy had been gammoning his sister the solemn mr Crosier senior shook his head and asked are both your parents dead my mother's dead replied phil she went away before i can remember her but perhaps my father's alive though it wouldn't matter as far as i am concerned for he never seems to have cared much about me or else why leave a feller did he desert your mother inquired captain merton crosier i don't know if he deserted her because she died continued phil but he seems to have left me to take pot luck Quel sclera claimed the french colonel looking the picture of indignation as if he would like to punish the villain now with us in france such a similar thing is impossible our system of passports however you anglais grumble at them prevent such affairs and was your father called merton inquired the old gentleman phil answered I don't know about that. I'm called Philip Merton, and Catherine Merton was the name my mother went by. So Nurse Hazelwood told me. Catherine Merton, he cried with a tone of surprise. Then, in a more quiet voice, he added, And who is Nurse Hazelwood, my little man? For a moment the boy hesitated, as if ashamed to reply, but at length as if he had conquered any feeling of pride he answered i ought to call her mother and i used to when i was young for she was as good and kind to me as she was to her own child but if you want to know who she was she was nurse at the workhouse where i was sent and it was she as told me my mother was a lady there was no reason on earth why the solemn old gentleman should have suddenly become so excited and anxious to learn more of the history of this boy over and over again did he ask and are you sure my young friend you cannot remember your father's name and although philip answered i tell you i never knowed him until he was tired by the monotony of the reply yet mr crosier senior seemed unwilling to drop the subject so often begging of the boy to try and remember that at last little helen not understanding what such questionings could lead to turned round laughing to her father to tease him for his curiosity then she saw that his face was pale and his eye unnaturally brilliant with excitement and involuntarily she cried out what is the matter papa are you ill you are so dreadfully pale merton dear make him sit down the solemn papa did not like to be stared at and pitied he said it was all nonsense, and, forcing up a laugh, asked how they imagined that one of his age could walk so great a distance without feeling distressed. But that was only an excuse, for he was suffering from excitement and not fatigue, as was evident by his manner. There was a dead silence among the party when the next question was put, and even Phil was frightened at finding so much interest taken about him. Did you ever, my boy, now try to remember, don't be afraid to take your time. Did you ever hear anybody mention a person named Valtrin? He waited almost breathlessly until Phil replied. No, I can't say I ever did hear of such a name, but there's a boy on the heath as is called Volby, if you think he'd suit you. What should have made the French colonel start and fall back as if somebody had suddenly called out his name on the cards he carried in his pocket was engraved le colonel Victor Badin Ratteplan léger Then what should he care for such a person as Valtrain? and when the Papa took out his pocket-book to write down the name of the workhouse where Philip had passed his infancy, why did this French officer keep on repeating to himself? st lazarus union as if he was afraid of forgetting the address what will not people do for a few hours pleasure there were two maid servants living in a big white house on the right-hand side of the heath where the ivy on the wall stands out like a portico so that when it rains the cows will go there for shelter and these two poor girls would get up at four o'clock in the morning for what to have a donkey ride they had got their long day's work before them, and anybody would fancy that every moment of sleep would be of consequence to give them strength for the day's labor, but merely for the pleasure of sitting upon a donkey's back and feeling it move along with them, they did not mind rising betimes before any of the family were stirring. They would go to Phil overnight, and coax him to be waiting round the corner, and as the clock struck four they would come out of the back garden gate and be off on their romp it was not a bad job for philip although it did come rather too early in the morning for when they returned back again at six they would give the boy such a big bundle of bread and meat that he had no occasion to buy any more food for that day at least they never met with anybody during such rides unless it was old tom pew the water-carrier who striding his tub on wheels like a temperate bacchus sat looking at his white horse whose wobbling ears dangled about almost as loosely as the pails swinging out behind the vehicle good morning tom the girls would cry out don't you tell you saw us or we'll beat you as black as a cinder while philip was galloping these girls across the heath he saw something lying on the ground and as the donkey boys are always on the lookout for treasure the moment phil saw this something he dropped his stick as if accidentally as an excuse for lagging behind and returning to fetch it picked up a purse judging from human nature and having closely watched the manners and habits of infants of a tender age we have come to the conclusion that honesty is entirely a matter of education and is no more an instinct born in us than forgiving your enemy or eating with a fork now as the education of donkey-driving boys may be safely quoted at nil much honesty cannot be expected of them and even if it was the expectation would most certainly be disappointed when sam kurt one day picked up a gold snuff-box he never for one moment thought it might possibly belong to somebody but jerking it hastily among some ferns he marked the spot well and fetched the treasure at night as there was not a soul to be seen stirring on the heath, Philip did not think it worth while to take any such precaution with his godsend, but with a clown's rapidity slipped it into his pocket, thinking to himself, The early bird catches the worm, and a very pretty worm, too. He was all impatience until the two servant-girls had returned home again, for his fingers were itching to open the clasp and peep into the interior. He was quite astonished at his good fortune, for it was along that very road that he passed on the previous evening when he was escorting the little schoolgirl. He felt sure the purse was not there then, or he must have seen it. When the ride was over, he did not wait to take the donkeys back to the stand but sought out some very secluded spot and took out the treasure. It's a first-rate looking thing, he thought to himself. And must have gold in it if there are only a few shillings, however, I shan't mind when he opened it, the features of his face relaxed with astonishment, and he flung the purse away with disappointment. There was not a single coin in any of its pockets, the only thing he could find was an old doubled-up card with Viscount Ascot printed in minute letters in the centre and surmounted by an imposing crest he could not help exclaiming in disgust a viscount and not a farthing why i'm as good a viscount as he is call himself a nobleman and not carry even such a thing as a pint of beer about him if that's your aristocracy why a donkey boy's a king that's all there was a certain stout foreigner with a thick moustache who would have given phil a golden sovereign to have regained that purse although there was not even a farthing in the pockets but how was the boy to know that end of section twenty